This is the third chapter of the Psalms of David. As we, uh, as we read God's Word this morning as an act of worship, just remind you of a couple uh, technical matters. The text that you see there above verse 1 is inspired Scripture. Even though it doesn't have a verse number, and so often in the Hebrew Bible we are one verse behind because the Hebrew Bible labels that title uh, as a verse of Scripture. So we will read that as Scripture also. The term Selah, uh, we have no idea what that means. Uh, that is a Hebrew term that has come into the English text exactly how it appears in the Hebrew Bible. It is a Hebrew term, Selah. It may have been a term that meant crescendo. It may have meant breathe here, um, but we don't know. So we will read not the Selah. This is God's word, Psalm chapter 3. A psalm of David when he fled from Absalom his son. O Lord, how many are my foes. Many are rising against me. Many are saying of my soul, there is no salvation for him in God. But you, O Lord, are a shield about me, my glory and the lifter of my head. I cried aloud to the Lord and he answered me from his holy hill. I lay down and slept. I woke again, for the Lord sustained me. I will not be afraid of many thousands of people who have set themselves against me all around. Arise, O Lord. Save me, O my God. For you strike all my enemies on the cheek. You break the teeth of the wicked. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Your blessing be on your people. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God abides forever. Let's pray. Lord, as we come together to consider the wisdom of this psalm and the words that you gave to David when he wrote it, we ask that you would speak to our own hearts. Um, Lord, many of us, we lack peace. And so we ask that you would give it to us. We, we acknowledge that you are the giver of peace. And so as we come to consider these words, be gracious to us by your Spirit. Open our hearts mature us in the Lord Jesus Christ. And we ask especially that you would convict the unconverted sinner, that he would turn and find relief in Christ Jesus even today. We ask in his name, amen. Have you discovered the secret for sleeping peacefully every night? You know, one of the things that when we are, when, when anxieties and worry flood us, the first thing it seems like that goes away is our sleep. Uh, you know this is true. Uh, many of you have had sleepless nights. And um, a few years ago when I was still in the banking industry, I, I, I did a little bit of research on, on what sleep is and how it affects our lives. And of course, there, there are many different opinions. Uh, most will say we don't fully understand what happens to the body in sleep. Many years ago, uh, back in the Middle Ages, uh, men thought that the body went to sleep and the soul departed every night when you went to sleep. It is an important and vital aspect of life. Uh, some have estimated that a man who is getting fewer than five hours on average of sleep is sort of like a man who's going around with a 
uh, 0.08 uh, uh, blood alcohol content because your reflexes are actually slowed that much and your mental factor is affected by not getting enough sleep. And so one of the barometers for our lives, for how we are handling worry and anxiety, can be our sleep. Have you realized how much your circumstances uh, affect sleep? And thus your life. And one of the things that as we think about this, this, this morning, you noticed, uh, I think, that middle verse where the psalmist said, I lay down uh, and I slept and I woke. Uh, you notice that middle verse. One of the things that the Psalms began to introduce to us is the connection that there is between soul and body. You are a soul and body unit. And so the health of the soul can affect the health of the body and vice versa. These are not two separate and distinct factors of you. And so you think of yourself and your well-being in terms of both body and soul. We're going to see this especially again in Psalm 6, but it is throughout the Psalms. This particular psalm is the reflection of one man. It's of King David. And what's interesting here is we're given the, actu- the, the exact context within which it was written. You notice there in the title that David wrote this uh, when he fled from Absalom, his son. David, as he wrote this psalm, was reflecting on um, rebellion. He, he was in the midst of rebellion. So think about that, first of all, that, that here is a man who is in tumult, and his instinct is to sit down and write out and reflect on his thoughts with God as his audience. In 2 Samuel 13 to 19, we have recorded for us this this circumstance in David's life. In fact, 30% of 2 Samuel deals with David's conflict with his own son Absalom. And what we find recorded there is really a heinous act on David's part. We think about David's sin with Bathsheba and his murder of her husband. But shortly thereafter, David uh, committed another sin against the Lord. His son Amnon raped his daughter Tamar. And just as a side note, the Hebrew scriptures there, the, the Greek scriptures record that Amnon had agape love for Tamar and expressed his agape love for her by raping her. These words, this report came to David, and he did nothing. So Absalom took his battered sister, half-sister, into his own home, where there for two years, he reflected on what had happened. And for two years, David did nothing. So Absalom took matters into his own hands. And he killed his brother, his half-brother, Amnon. What did David do? Turn over with me to 2 Samuel chapter 13. 
David responded to Absalom taking justice into his own hands, he responded this way, 2 Samuel 13, verse 30. While they were on the way, news came to David. Absalom has struck down all the king's sons, and not one of them is left. Then the king arose and tore his garments and lay on the earth, and all his servants who were standing by tore their garments. But Jonadab, the son of Shimei, David's brother, said, Let not the Lord suppose that they have killed all the young men, the king's sons, for Amnon alone is dead. For by the command of Absalom, this has been determined from the day he violated his sister Tamar. Now therefore, let not my lord the king so take it to heart as to suppose that all the king's sons are dead, for Amnon alone is dead. Absalom then fled into the wilderness, and David resolved never to see him again. And even when Absalom returned to town and they told David that he had, had returned to town, David never would look upon Absalom. He never welcomed him into his company. Well, Absalom over time began to turn the hearts of the people Israel to himself. Absalom went out to the gate, and as men came to seek counsel, came to Jerusalem to see the king, uh, Absalom would cry out to them, and he said, well, what, what do you seek? And the people would, would plead their case before Absalom. And slowly by slowly, Absalom turned the hearts of men to himself and away from David. He robbed the loyalty of the kingdom and brought it to himself. So that all of this came to a head when Absalom plotted his rebellion against his father to take the kingdom away from his father. And David fled in fear into the wilderness. As Absalom came and took David's palace. So when we find ourselves at Psalm 3, we find a David who is fearful of his own son, who has rebellion in his own house, who is fearful over what the future could bring. Will, will his life be spared? Will Absalom seek his life, the life of his people? Will his, will his reign go on? Will Absalom be the king of Israel? David is fearful. And so what we find in Psalm 3 verses 1 through 4 is the prayer of the fearful. Notice that this whole psalm is a prayer. David began there in verse 1 by addressing the Lord. O Lord, how many are my foes? Many are rising against me. Many are saying of my soul, there is no salvation for him in God. The repeated theme here of these first three verses is this multitude. Uh, David wants the Lord to know as he's expressing himself in, in fear to the Lord. He's saying, Lord, there's a multitude of people against me. David began his prayer by, de by describing his plight to the Lord. Note that. Did God know? Of course God knew. God knew what was going on in David's life. God had ordained it from before the foundation of the earth. 
But David, in his prayer, expresses his heart to the Lord. This was his place, his time to cry out to the Lord and make his, his case. In 2 Samuel 15 and verse 13, we learn that a messenger came and told David, the hearts of the people Israel are with Absalom. Think about that now. This is the David who once walked down the street and the people would sing, Saul has killed his thousands, but David has killed his tens of thousands. He once enjoyed the praise of the people and now he has lost it. In fact, it would seem that the people that he has now exchanged places with Saul Not only that, but his enemies taunt his trust in Yahweh, verse 3. There is no salvation for him in God. Guess what, David? Go ahead and pray to your God. Seek his favor. He can do nothing for you. We are many. And you have fled with women and children. What can you do? Well, David can pray. Even in the wilderness even though his heart is flooded with anxiety and worry, David got down on his knees and pled his case to the Lord, the one who could grant him peace. And he sought it. And notice in verses 3 and 4, his response of faith, he's praying this fearful prayer and expressing here not only his circumstances, but he, he responds to the Lord in faith. He expressed his faith. To God in verses 3 and 4. I lay down. I'm sorry, but you, O Lord, are a shield about me. My glory and the lifter of my head. I cried aloud to the Lord and He answered me from His hill. David's prayer here is filled with expressions. It's almost as though David's prayer is, is he's reminding himself of who God is. God doesn't need the reminder. But an aspect of David's relationship to the Lord in prayer is praying to the Lord, reminding Him, here's my circumstance, Lord. Here it is. And here is who You are. Here is how these two things compare. David in his prayer set his mind on God's purpose. But you, you Yahweh, you are a shield. And you're the kind of shield that is strong even against an infinite number of enemies. And David remembered God's promise. We think about Genesis 15.1 as as Abraham himself was struggling with doubts himself. God God came down to Abraham to comfort him, to strengthen his soul, to meet him in his place of weakness, and to lift him up. Turn with me to 2 Samuel chapter 22 as we get to the end of this account of David's life. David here is reflecting on God as as sovereign. You, O Lord, you are the only sovereign. He is is saying aloud, he is remembering that he, he is not subject to men or the plans of men. 
He is subject to God alone. 2 Samuel 22 and verse 3. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer. My God, my rock in whom I take refuge. My shield and the horn of my salvation. My stronghold and my refuge. My Savior, you save me from violence. In the midst of his worry, David is crying out to the Lord. Expressing his faith. David prayed in faith, I cried out to the Lord. One of the things I think the Lord Lord would have you to remember is that you are not the first person to believe that you are outnumbered by your enemies. You are not the first person to believe that you are few or weak or helpless. You are not the first person to be in trouble from your own household. You're not the first person to have a crisis. But by the example and through the words of David, the Lord would have you see that here fear became the occasion for an expression of faith. Fear became the the, the occasion for David for an expression of faith. He cried out with his lips aloud. He didn't just think it in his mind. He cried out to the Lord, Save me! This is not the picture of a man who's pacing the floor, of fretting within himself, of keeping it all inside. This is the picture of a man who cries out to the Lord, who not only believes that God is able, but expresses that belief in his prayer. In every affliction, you and I do two things. In every affliction, you and I demonstrate our faith. Every affliction causes us to bring out, to evaluate our own faith. But every affliction does another thing. It reminds us that we need more faith. It reminds us that as strong as our faith may be, as strong as our belief and our grip on the confessions that we confess, as strong as that grip may be, every affliction reminds you that you need more faith. Gerhardus Voss puts it this way, faith And does desire for more faith frequently go hand in hand? We can pray along with that man who said, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. This is the expression of our prayer life. You think about Moses. Moses, the Moses, who had seen the hand of God deliver the Israelites with no help from anyone, brought them out in a glorious exodus, caused water to be turned into blood, caused gnats to come forth, took the life of the first one, saw the seas parted, saw water come from a rock, stood on the mountain. Listen to me. He stood on the mountain and saw the Lord with His own own eyes with a a pavement of sapphire and the elders and he ate and drank with the Lord. 
In Exodus chapter 11 said, Lord, if you will not relieve me of this burden, take my life. Every Christian has moments where faith is weak. Where our minds are pervaded with doubt. You're not unique. What makes you unique is where you go with those doubts. In your moments of affliction, where do you go? To whom do you cry? Even though we find that our sincere faith is often feeble and frail, you ought to be comforted by knowing that God is pleased to answer those weak prayers. You do not insult Him by expressing your weakness and doubts. We're reminded of the words from James 1. Listen. When you seek the Lord over and over and over and over again for wisdom, He delights to give you wisdom. In the King James Version there, and James 1 says, without upbraiding, He will never chastise you for coming to Him and seeking His aid. One Christian recently asked me, do you think the Lord gets tired of me praying to Him the same prayers over and over and over again? And with confidence in God's word, I can say to you, no, that is his will for you. And the afflictions of your life have as their purpose that you would cry out to the Lord. Psalm 3 not only shows us the prayer of the fearful, secondly, it shows us the presence of the peace of God. In verses 5 through 7, I lay down and slept. I woke again, for the Lord sustained me. I will not be afraid of many thousands of people who have set themselves against me all around. The result of David's prayer and reflection is that God blessed him with peaceful sleep. David, after crying out to the Lord with his voice, reflecting on Christ's Presence as sovereign, the one who sits on his holy mountain in Psalm chapter 2, verse 6. God blessed him with peaceful sleep. Think about the significance of that. Remember, this is the same man who came upon Saul sleeping in a cave and went down and cut off the hem of his cloak. He, he knew as a king, as a, a general of armies, he knew that the greatest weakness he could have was to go to sleep, to let down his guard. And so these are not just passing words. For him to lie down and sleep is for him to express that God had given him a strength of faith to grasp His promises, to rest in His sovereignty, to know that God alone, with or without sleep, was the one who would sustain His life. He lay down and found peaceful slumber. And notice what He says in verse 7. Arise, O Lord. Save me, O my God. For You strike all my enemies on the cheek. You break the teeth of the wicked. 
There was no enemy of David's that God could not conquer. There was no enemy of David's who was outside of the Lord's reach. There was no enemy whom the Lord could not punch on the cheek and break out every one of his teeth. David is expressing a complete trust in God's sovereignty. Lord, if you you prevent my enemies from harming me, they will be prevented. I am in your hands. I'm not subject to them. We find that David's assurance here and his peace came from reflecting on the Lord's presence within him. And you can relate that this is the Christian's battle. This is the battle that takes place in our minds when the, the next day when that exam is coming up. And we're going to face that next test. Or I'm going to have an ultrasound. Or an x-ray. Or a heart catheterization. I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know what the result of that test will be. And the next, that night, all night, I'm thinking about that. Or that meeting that I have to go into. And I already feel that the tension that's going to be in that room. And I've written out my notes and I know what I'm going to say. I don't want to go and face those people. And those thoughts flood your mind and you go over and over and over them. What we find in Psalm 3 is the battle is The struggle is faithfully taking those thoughts to the Lord. It's in those moments where the Lord is testing me. Will you trust me? Will you give this to me? It's asking Him, saying, Lord, You can give me peace. Father, I am am expressing to You, I freely confess, I'm not trusting You here. Help me. Overcome my doubts. You are the dispenser of grace. You give peace. I know that Christ died and the gift that Christ gives is infinite peace. I have peace with you. Help me to trust you. Notice that the Lord's answer to David was not supernatural. He didn't give David any supernatural revelation. He didn't just immediately wipe out David's enemies. He didn't take them away. There was no sign. There was no angel that came to him. What God gave to David, and note this, what God gave to David was a night of peaceful sleep when he shouldn't have gotten any sleep. That was the gift. And I want you to understand clearly what I'm saying. This is not saying to you that your worries and your anxieties are because you have weak faith. What this is saying to you is that those things should be a prompt to you that you need to cry out to the Lord. We all, not one of us has the faith that we ought to have. And that faith comes from the Lord. The Lord's answer wasn't supernatural. It was a natural answer. 
And so I think the example here is that the harder you perceive your circumstances to be, the harder you ought to cry out to the Lord. You ought to take that as a sign to you, as an invitation to you to express your heart to God and ask Him for peace. You have other alternatives. You can seek to change your circumstances. You can call in the next morning and say, Professor, sorry, <coughs> I'm not going to make it for the exam. You don't have to go to the meeting. You don't have to go to the Thanksgiving dinner that you want to avoid. You can change your circumstances, but here's something that you ought to learn from the life of Jonah. And listen well to this. If the Lord determines to test you, you will be tested. Jonah thought that he could flee, and, the God, and God met him there. We've been challenged with this in our own lives in ministry. We've ministered in a hard place where, where day by day there were tears sitting on the t couch with tears saying, can we go somewhere else? And we have to remember, if God determines to test you, you will be tested. It doesn't matter if you move to a remote desert island, God will find you. Because his objective for you is to grow into a mature man. You don't have the faith that you ought to have. And he uses your afflictions to point that out. And to invite you into a greater and a deeper intimacy. So the harder you perceive your circumstances to be, the harder you must cry out to the Lord. Lastly, thirdly, we see in Psalm 3, verses 6 through 8, really verse 8, the praise of godly confidence. Do you notice the, the dissymmetry, as it were, between the beginning and the end of the psalm? What, what kind of a man did we have at the beginning of the prayer? We have one who's on his knees. He's crying out, Lord, my enemies are great. They are many. And by the end of the psalm, in verse 8, we see that salvation belongs to the Lord. Your blessing be on your people. Verse 2, many are saying of my soul, there is no salvation in God, for him in God. Verse, verse 8, salvation belongs to the Lord. Your blessing be on your people. There, in that prayer, in that prayer, in that time of prayer, we find that the Lord met him. That the Lord gave grace to David. And his doubts were eliminated. At the end of the prayer, David's fear was exchanged for confidence. I will not be afraid, he says. Instead, I'm going to fear God. I won't fear the one who can kill my body. I will fear the one who can cast my soul into hell. I will fear the one who over and over and over and over again has shown his absolute sovereignty. Look, the circumstance for fear had not changed. Absalom was still out there. His enemy was still out there. 
What had changed is that God had given grace to David. His outlook on the situation had changed. He's now ready to say, what can man do to me? And he has confidence in Yahweh's protection. David had confidence in the character of God. God is a just God. He doesn't favor the wicked over the righteous. He's a righteous God. And in David's situation, another result perhaps of the prayer is that the rebel army was ultimately defeated. Turn with me to 2 Samuel chapter 18 now. As we look at the conclusion of David's battle. 2 Samuel chapter 18. One of the things that we learn about Absalom is he was a very handsome man like his father. And evidently he had, not unlike me, he had so much hair, he would cut it every year and they would weigh his hair. Um, I don't know if they had locks of love then, but he would have been the primary donor. 2 Samuel 18, verse 9. And Absalom happened to meet the servants of David. Absalom was riding on his mule. This was a kingly animal. And the mule went under the thick branches of a great oak. And his head caught fast in the oak. And he was suspended between heaven and earth. While the mule that was under him went on. So you have this vivid picture, don't you, of this man with these great locks of hair now hanging by his hair in an oak tree. Suspended between heaven and earth. His life, his life is literally hanging between heaven and earth. Joab, I'm sorry, uh, verse 10, and a certain man saw it and told Joab, Joab the captain of David's armies, behold, I saw Absalom hanging in an oak. Joab said to the man who told him, uh, uh, who told him what you saw him, uh, why then did you not strike him there to the ground? I would have been glad to give you ten pieces of silver and a belt. But the man said to Joab, even if I felt in my hand the weight of a thousand pieces of silver, I would not reach out my hand against the king's son. For in our hearing, the king commanded you and Abishai and Ittai, for my sake, protect the young man, Absalom. On the other hand, if I had dealt treacherously against his life, and there is nothing hidden from the king, then you yourself would have stood aloof. Joab said, I will not waste time like this with you. And he took three javelins in his hand and thrust them into the heart of Absalom while he was still alive in the oak. And ten young men, Joab's armor bearers, surrounded Absalom and struck him and killed him. And they took his body and they threw it in a pit. The very thing that gave Absalom pride is the thing that betrayed him to death. A picture of the Lord's opposition to Absalom's arrogance What these men could not take away from David was his total trust in the Lord's salvation. At the end of the day, David is saying, if the Lord chooses to take my, my life, 
by the hand of these men, I know that my soul is in his hands. And listen to me, one of the ways that God conveyed that grace to David was through knowledge. He knew God's word and he prayed that word back to the Lord and the result of that activity was God communicated grace to David. He didn't take David's enemies away in that moment, but what he gave to David was what he sought. Strength in his faith. Our ultimate confidence is not that the temporal circumstances of this life will become better. We want COVID to go away. We want all the persecutors of God's people to be converted to Christ for us to gather under a big white tent on the lawn somewhere and sing the Psalms together. We want that. We want all of our meetings at work to be mild and peaceful and for all of us to be on the same page. But our confidence is not that our circumstances will change. Our confidence is in Christ. Multitudes may revile you Multitudes may spit on you. Many may seek and someone may take your life. But none of these actions can keep you from your heavenly inheritance which Christ has won for you. Not one of them. David did not assure himself that he would have victory over his enemies. David assured himself that even if he died, His life was eternally secure in Christ. And this reflection is the source of peaceful sleep. Amen. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we come confessing to you freely. Father, that none of us has perfect faith. All of us has has weakness in certain areas and different to each and every one of us. Father, we come now seeking Your grace, asking that You'd give us more and more. We ask, Father, that when You purpose for us to go through the valley of the shadow of death, when when our hearts would flee in fear, we ask that You would give us strength. Father, when You show us what is really in us, the weakness that we have. Oh, we have the knowledge. Help us to apply the knowledge. And we ask that You would give us peace. You are the giver of peace. It isn't the result of mechanisms or medications. It is a result of You sovereignly giving it to us. And we ask for it now. In Christ's name, Amen.